The Old Testament reading this week is Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. Lord, do good to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart. But those who turn crooked ways, the Lord will banish with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Our New Testament reading is 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 15. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, David. Good morning, everyone. As James said, my name is Klaus. I've preached here a couple times before, and I'm grateful to be back again. I'd like to thank uh, Jen and Tony and the rest of the elders for having me again. And to all the uh, new faces and to all the familiar faces in the crowd, hello. It's good to be with you. 
Now, before uh, I bring uh, the message today, would you join me in a word of prayer? Oh, Lord, our God, it is um, our sincere and humble prayer before you that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of all of our hearts might be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> so I heard a story from a professor of mine in seminary about another professor who had long since retired. And this professor uh, was known to be a bit of a curmudgeon, I suppose. And the story goes that he was boarding a plane and reluctantly got caught up talking to the person next to him. And the gentleman sitting beside him, frankly, couldn't really stop talking about himself. And he was going on and on about his life. And he mentioned that he was a teacher of astronomy. That's not to say anything about astronomers in general, but this specific one was, I guess, a bit long-winded. After talking at great length, he finally turned to the seminary professor and asked, what do you do for work? To which he replied, oh, I'm a professor of theology. The astronomer looked at him and said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible told me so. That is all I need to know about theology. The seminary professor looked back at him and responded, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. That's all I need to know about astronomy. I have a second story. And this is about the theologian Karl Barth. Karl Barth is widely regarded to be one of the greatest, certainly one of the most prolific modern theologians. And towards the end of his career, towards the end of his life, he put on a lot of seminars for theological students from all over the world to come and attend. Really, people were eager to sit at his feet and learn. And someone came up after a seminar and asked him a difficult question for someone whose magnum opus could probably fill two whole shelves on an average bookshelf. He asked him, how would you summarize your theology in one sentence? And Bart thought for a second, and he said, in the words of a song that I learned at my mother's knee, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, told, told me so. Now, what's the difference between these two stories? I discussed uh, this with a seminary professor, and he put it well. He talked about uh, someone named Oliver Wendell Holmes, who uh, was a Supreme Court justice, actually, but he had a lot of pithy sayings. And it's what Holmes called simplicity on the near side of complexity. That's the difference between these two stories. Simplicity on the near side of complexity, for instance, is this, the astronomer in the airplane, right? It summarizes a complex idea briefly without an understanding of the complexity therein. Now, there's also such a thing as simplicity on the far side of complexity. That's informed by the wisdom of experience. 
and deep drawn out consideration. I think that this simplicity on the far side of complexity is what we find in our passage for today. The writer of the Apostle Paul is at the end of his life, and the tradition says he is writing from prison. He would have been in prison in Rome. Now, later in this book, there's a well-known passage where he says, I have run the race, right? I have fought the good fight. He has the universal wisdom, the simplicity of someone looking back at a life of faith well-lived. But he's writing and he's speaking into a situation of great need, where Timothy, his protege of sorts, and his former travel companion, is a young pastor in the city of Ephesus. And Timothy is, is pastoring in a difficult time. It's a time of persecution and a time of division. As for the persecution, under Roman rule at this time, Christianity was feared and thought to be a threatening, subversive religion. It didn't go well with the Roman state religion that saw Caesar as Lord, literally as a god. Now, there was also conflict. It's not clear exactly what this is, but from context, a lot of people think it's basically what what we now call Gnosticism, which was a a teaching that grew up right alongside Christianity. Uh, It's basically the teaching that the material world is evil and that the salvation we seek is towards the spiritual and away from the material. A side note, you may notice a lot of Gnosticism creeps its way back into Christianity today, frequently. So Paul is writing into this situation of deep complexity, deep conflict, and division. Now, these weren't simpler times back then. They were just as complicated as they are now. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, Paul has seen every kind of persecution and disagreement and conflict that there is. So from the far side of complexity, he sets out to instruct and encourage Timothy with wise, sage-like simplicity and wisdom. Our passage for today begins with a simple injunction of this young pastor. Be strong in Christ Jesus. It's directed towards Timothy, but we can all learn from it. Strength for the follower of Jesus Christ doesn't come just from within. That won't be enough for the world as it is. Strength comes from abiding in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. How is Timothy to do this? How are any of us to do this? Uh, Paul gives a couple of examples, a couple of metaphors, I guess. Even as Paul is persecuted, share in his suffering. With Paul and others, like a soldier, he says, like a soldier who maybe doesn't know the whole plan, but who trusts that there will be victory. Or like an athlete who doesn't become too preoccupied with things outside of their control, but by performing according to the rules, gets the crown. If you focus on growing your faith in Christ, you will be emboldened, Paul suggests, to face hardship 
and challenges with strength rather than fear. And it's, it's simple to him. He also goes on, going into verse 8, and he puts things as simply as possible. He says, remember Christ Jesus. It's a simple command. Remember Christ Jesus, raised from the dead, descended from David. Paul says, in everything that you do, remember Christ as such, raised and descended. Now, reading through the Bible, this might be something we can easily gloss over, the fact that he puts these two things together, but it really is meaningful. Paul did very few things accidentally, and I think this requires a bit more attention. What do these two features, these two aspects and attributes of Jesus Christ have to do with each other in this context? Paul is saying, remember that Christ is living and remember that he is the Messiah. To be strengthened by a faith in a living Messiah means to be reminded that for all the labors that we face, even in times of discouragement, God, the same God who watched over Israel, who we referenced in Psalm 125, like the mountains surrounding Jerusalem, that same God is here with you now and is still at work in and among you, even now. This is what Timothy is meant to remember. This is the connection between the resurrection of Jesus and the fact that he has descended from David. It's that he is faithful and that he is living. He is the promise-keeping God, the same one who watched over Israel, who has protected his people since creation. Christ raised Christ, Messiah, living God, faithful God. They go hand in hand. In an earlier sermon at Sherman Street, I noted uh, that the only name we're ever given for God from, from the mouth of God in the Bible is I am. I am. As such, God's words, God's promises from what we call the Old Testament. They don't expire. They may be from long ago, but they exist with us ever in the present. They are renewed every day. Grace in the present tense. That is what Paul calls Timothy to remember. That is what Paul calls us to remember today. Now, I want to move forward in the text. I want to address every part of this text because I think there's very little wasted words in it. Very few. Paul cites a simple saying. If you were following along in the Bible, you notice that there's just a little indentation, like it's a hymn he's quoting. So remember, in the world at this time, the first uh, few decades A.D., or CE, I guess, as we say. People weren't literate for for the most part. Some were, some were educated, but many people were not literate. And so most information had to get passed around orally, and then most information had to be carried around in your memory. So it was useful to have these short, pithy, memorable sayings to carry around with you that summarized 
a much bigger truth that could be a touchstone, a remembrance. And he quotes one of these sayings. This isn't original to Paul. He's drawing from the deep well that is already being built up in this new upstart apostolic church in uh, the Roman Empire. So he quotes this saying. He says, If we died with Christ, we will also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. But if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. This isn't fortune cookie wisdom. This short saying, though it's not his own, summarizes so much of what Paul has embodied and taught for his entire career, all of which Timothy would have been familiar with up to this point. And he's pointing back to that touchstone and reminding Timothy of what is really important. And what the saying reminds us is this. First, that following Christ requires dying to our sin and coming alive in him. Second, that it requires endurance and that that endurance will be rewarded. Third, that there are real stakes, real consequences to denying Christ as our Lord and following after other gods. But that we sow the seeds of those consequences ourselves. And finally, right alongside all this, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. That equally true knowledge to all that has been said up to this point, that knowledge that Christ remains undoubtedly faithful to you, to me. No matter whether we falter, that faithfulness to his flock just seems to be part of the DNA of our Lord, part of Christ's character that no human action could ever undo. Now, with the wisdom of a faithful apostle who has run the race and who has now grown old, whose faith is so thoroughly on Christ that he is able to keep up faith even in the midst of a prison cell facing death. With that wisdom, Paul reminds Timothy and he reminds us, the grace of Christ is good, but it is not cheap. It makes demands. But that is how we grow strong, by disciplining ourselves and growing strong in the faith of Christ, striving to be faithful in him, even as he is faithful to us, seeing his faithfulness and aspiring to it ourselves. And yet even so, no matter the outcome, he will remain faithful. Now finally, Verses 14 and 15 are kind of the practical upshot for Timothy and for his church, and I think for us 
as the church living and working today, just as the church was back then. He says this, avoid quarreling. Some translations, translations say, avoid wrangling. Avoid wrangling over words. But instead, focus on the work that has been laid out for you. The work of following Christ and becoming like him. That is at the core of everything. True to an apostle with the universal wisdom of old age, Paul is reminding Timothy and his church of something so simple and so fundamental to our life together as Christians. Don't sweat the small stuff. Be deliberate. Be decisive. Be truthful in all things. But don't be quarrelsome. Don't major in minors, so to speak. And finally, in verse 15, do your best. Really, do your best to present yourself to God as someone who made the most of their opportunities, who took the word of God seriously and lived by the commandments and leave the rest up to Christ. The more I studied the passage this week, the more I really came to love it. I had never delivered a sermon from the book of 2 Timothy before. And as I studied it, I really grew to understand and, and love this passage, especially for this Sunday. The Sunday before Labor Day, as we enter a new church season, as many of us enter new seasons going into new school years, or just exiting a time of rest that summer brings and revisiting the work that the school year brings. Entering this year of work and preparing ourselves for the changing of seasons. I think this passage is perfect for us. Because it is also delivered in a context where we set to work and they were setting to work in a complex and divided world where sometimes the kingdom of God was hard to see like it was for Timothy and it may be for us sometimes today. And back then, despair and division ran rampant, not only in Rome, but also in their own churches, in their own family systems, and in maybe their very own hearts. And I think that that is not so dissimilar from where we are. And what Paul does here in speaking to a situation that is not so dissimilar from ours is not to gloss over the complexity of disagreement or the problems of the day. But it's simply to offer the wisdom of someone who has really seen it all and who has something simple to say from the far side of complexity. Suffer with each other. Bear each other's burdens. And make Christ a priority in your common life together. Don't quarrel 
but keep the main thing the main thing and have eyes to see the face of Christ in your neighbor. And as we're invited now in this new season of church, this new season of school and in life, we're also invited to revisit our priorities, to fix our eyes again on the living Christ, to renew our promises to God as we revisit his promise to us. To renew our commitments first and foremost to the kingdom of God above any workplace, above any social group, above any school, above any group that we may claim or that may claim us in this world. And we're commanded then, as Paul says, to really do our best. To really, really try to share the gospel, to work hard at loving our enemy, to spend more time getting to know the living word of God in scripture, to really try, and to let Jesus, raised from the dead, a descendant of David, take care of the rest. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.